Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to episode 210 with my guest, Ariana. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. The show is not meant to be a substitute for uh, a little trouble with that word. Substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show and the Twitter handle that you can follow me at is MentalPod. Um, and the website's MentalPod.com. Uh, go there, check it out, fill out a survey, see how other people filled out uh, their surveys, revealing their deepest, darkest thoughts and secrets and inner lives. You can read blogs by myself and other people. You can support the show. You can uh, browse the forum, join the forum, post in there, get to know people, a whole bunch of stuff, mentalpod.com. Um, had an interesting uh, week, pretty good for the uh, for the most part, but I had, I don't know if you guys ever get this, but I just had one of those moments today where everything just feels gray, and it was gray outside as well, and... Um, I just felt like I shouldn't be um, feeling blue because I've been feeling really good lately. And I was with my brother and we were we were golfing and it was really kind of gray and overcast out. And I, I looked at the, um, they had this sign at the, the uh, clubhouse that said something about a pasta meal for lunch, a buffet with pasta primavera or something. And it made me want to kill myself. Just the thought of eating, it, it, it was like that was the thing that pushed me over the edge that, that made me think of a, like, maybe life's not worth living if it's all about gray skies and eating shitty pasta at a buffet. Maybe... Maybe this planet's overrated. Isn't it weird how the funniest thing will... And I'm not feeling that way right now, but it was just... It's just weird how sometimes 
the smallest thing will be the thing that's like, oh, I gotta check out. I that this is too much. This is definitely too much. Um, a friend of mine said something really funny <laughs> this week. She said to me, she said, um, I'm in a really weird place. I feel good. <laughs> it's like, man, that is a t-shirt. That is a t-shirt. I want to read a couple of uh, struggles in a sentence. One of the surveys from uh, the website. There's about a dozen surveys you can take. And please go fill out the uh, favorite episode of 2014 survey. I want to um, get some more respondents to that before I uh, announce who the top 10 episodes were. Uh, this is a struggle in a sentence. This is filled out by uh, Schlepprock. And about her being bipolar, she writes, Who will I be tomorrow? This is filled out by Tired and Hopelessly Tethered. And about her OCD, she writes, Tethered to a fucked up brain that makes me check and recheck all night that the money is still in my purse and the doors are locked and the windows are locked so no aliens come in and abduct the baby. A snapshot from her life, she writes, Crying because it's 2 a.m. and I have checked and rechecked and checked again. I am so tired of this, but I can't stop. This is filled out by Breezy who writes about her bulimia. Even just eating a leaf of lettuce will be followed by an almost animalistic panic to get the, quote, poison out of me. I feel this panic in every cell of my body like some deep-rooted survival instinct. And a snapshot from her life. Oh, the complete and terrifying moment when you encounter the low-flow, eco-friendly toilet. Having just vomited into the toilet of the one-stall bathroom, you panic as you hear voices outside the stall, waiting their turn. The feeling of blood draining from your face as you frantically press the handle a million times, watching the vomit and water swirl but not drain. Do you leave exposing your sickness to these strangers and bolt out the door, or make them wait, bracing for sighs and impatient groans as you pray for the water tank to quickly refill so you can flush it again? No one to blame for this desperate and pathetic scene but myself. And knowing the experience won't be enough to prevent it next time. This is filled out by Nathan J. And um, about his sexual preference, he writes, I identified as male, but there's this girl inside me called Kaylee that really wants to dress up sexy and get laid but doesn't have a body to do that with. And then uh, N.L., says about his PTSD, suicidal thoughts are both what haunts me and what is getting me through the day. My God, somebody does what I've been doing. There's shame. You have boundary issues. I feel guilty for hating my mom. I will be high by 4 p.m. You feel helpless. I will be in hell by 4.15. Prison was not easy, but I deserved it. I think I'm just addicted to lying. I rubbed my body in mud and I laid in the swamp. Didn't move for six hours. I looked forward to and dreaded each meal at the same time. I think I desperately, desperately wanted to talk about it, but I didn't know how to start the conversation. And that's when I, I called the suicide hotline. A good Craigslist experience is if you are alive at the end of it. So, <laughs> so. That is when I first felt love. Like I first felt reaching out to the people and sharing with the other people. Um, this intimate connection where people do stuff for each other without wanting something in return. Yeah, I just, I surrender. And I think I was 28 and that was the first time I ever experienced that and it was amazing. I'm here with uh, a listener who we're going to call Ariana and uh, 
where where should we begin? You you sent me an email that is fascinated me, and I was like, we should definitely record something. Do you remember what you said to me in the email? Because I remember, but I don't I don't want to put words in your mouth. I think I. Um I didn't. I was uh, nervous about writing you a novel and uh, thank you and for, losing you. For, yes. Thank you for giving me the broad strokes because <laughs> when somebody writes four pages, it's like I can only read so many emails and it's, yeah. Right. I think I... Um, I'm going to have you scoot in just a little closer oh, sure. to the mic. There we go. <laughs> um, I think I listed off... Um, not all, but some of the childhood traumas I had, um, including an incestuous uh, um, an abusive brother and an emotionally detached um, parents. Right-wing uh, Christian. Right, your favorite. And um, also, I was left with my... Um, grandmother for a while um between eight and ten years old when she she was dying of cancer and i think i, I might have told you more there's i could go on and on about well the part that really interested me was the you you wrote i identify as a serial killer oh right <laughs> <laughs> forgot about that one <laughs> that was the part that emotionally you identify as a serial killer you've never done anything you've never harmed anybody but you have these would it be safe to say impulses where you relate like when you see something on a serial killer uh on tv you relate very much to what they feel is that fair to say not exactly but i i do want to clarify that i don't have that specific issue now i probably haven't in the last five years but you know i'm 40 and and for about as early as i can remember up and up into my 30s that was very true and um now i remember i kept saying but i'm, I'm a normal person i promise um <laughs> to me in <laughs> to the email. yeah um yeah it it really and i think this is kind of a a theme i've learned in my life is i i've had two kind of minds um one is one that's very um, plugged into society, and I do lots of social work, lots of volunteer work. Um, I have a job that contributes a lot to the community. Um, you know, I don't necessarily like people. I'm an introvert. Um, but it's also true that I've had this other thing that flips on now and then where I just imagine killing people and um i've had that i don't know since grade school high school for sure um and what it used to look like when i was younger is um just lots of fantasies about death and dying and murder and anything i can get my hands on this is pre-internet days so it's difficult to get your hands on things um, but anything I can get my hands on, I would I would keep, I would hoard, and I would hide, um, so I could go back and look at it. Um, like things related to what? Murder or death, like photos. Okay, um, but but not things, you know, because you've never committed a murder, so not things that, not your own trophies, just trophies that represent death 
yes. not death you had a hand in. Right. Okay. Um, and when it, when it came to me specifically thinking about harming someone, it usually caught me by surprise. And I still, to this day, I don't know how or why, um, a specific individual would draw my attention, but I could be in a crowd and having a good time with friends. And all of a sudden I'll see someone across the room and it seemed to me like they were, that they were evil. There was something wrong about them, um, that they needed to die, that they deserved to die. And then my fantasy would go from there. So I've gone as far as following people, following them, seeing where they live, what time they go to bed. Um, what lights go on and off in their house at what times, um, creating my strategy of how I would go in, how I would do it. Um, and then that's, that's generally as far as it went, <laughs> but that's pretty far. <laughs> Give me a full-fledged example of a specific person and all the details around the fantasy and how far you went. But, you know, preferably one where it went the furthest I think uh, when I was in college, I was at a grocery store and um, I saw a woman, you know, doing her shopping. And I had that feeling come over me that this woman is um, is evil. There's something just wrong about her, off about her. And um, Do you remember specifically what it was about her? Was it the way she looked, the way she carried herself, things she said, her physical stature? We never talked, and I've never been able to pinpoint kind of a pattern or there's nothing they're doing with me. And in fact, I've never had this feeling towards someone I've actually engaged with ever. Mm -hmm. um, Have you ever had it with somebody and then they engaged with you and it went away? No. Okay. Yeah, I've never approached someone that I've felt this way about. Have you ever wanted to approach somebody that you felt that way about? Um, no. No. Um, so you saw this woman in the grocery store? So I followed her around the store, and I immediately get into this zone where um, I'm... I have almost like super skills. I don't know a better way to say it, but you know, I think I'm really good at deception. Like she won't notice I'm following me. <laughs> and, um, and I basically follow, um, see which car she's getting in. I get in my car. I follow her back to her neighborhood. And, um, and then I staked out her house for at least a week. When you're doing this, when you're following her in the grocery store, are you starting to get kind of a high? Are you starting to get adrenaline from this? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 What's it feel like? I guess powerful. Um, Do your hands I shake? That word. No. No. Do you feel calm? I feel extremely calm. I feel laser focused. Um uh, yeah, I feel kind of invincible. And I don't imagine that I'm going to get caught and, and I'm pretty just swept up into that into that activity. Is there, and I apologize if this is uh, a creepy question, but is there any arousal uh, around it, not necessarily towards the person, but around 
the feeling of power. No, and I've never had um I've never had fantasies about killing people that involve extreme torture. I've always imagined killing them as quickly as possible. Um I don't get off on their suffering. It's more of this feeling that they're evil and they need to die. Um and it's it's almost righteous, I guess, for me to do it. So you would almost be like if Jane Seymour from somewhere in time were a serial killer. Exactly. That's that's who you <laughs> the lady serial killer. <laughs> lady scalpel. <laughs> exactly. Um the kosher killer. She's uh <laughs> she doesn't want them to suffer. She wants it to go get over uh as quickly as possible. Um, very kind. Yes. Uh, so you're following them, you're focused, you're super calm. It's not a sexual thing. Um, continue. Um, I also, I, I get off on the process. So the the staking out of the house, like walking around the house, figuring out the best way to get in, figuring out what time people go to bed, how many people are in the house, um, do they have pets, all that stuff. And again, you know, I'm young, I don't really know what I'm doing, but in my mind... I'm a and, masterpiece murderer. And the last time you did this was how many years ago? Well, the last time I stalked was probably in my 20s, but the the urge and that feeling um, I had through my 30s. And then I think I mentioned to you that, I, and this was just a year ago, um, I had a visit with a psychiatrist um, for about of, uh, a bad bout of depression I was having. And... He was a sweet, sweet, like gentle guy. There was nothing wrong with him. There was who nothing went to bed triggering. between seven o'clock and nine o'clock? <laughs> who left his back door open <laughs> and only had one deadbolt? <laughs> exactly. Um, with a deliciously high neck. <laughs> Go ahead. With uh, the, you know, we were doing the normal visit for. Um, for me to get some pharmaceuticals. And the whole time, again, I had this kind of split mind. So I was able to talk to him, tell him my entire kind of life history. My Had you history. ever shared anybody with anybody the, these thoughts and feelings? Um, just my just my therapist, okay. which is different than this psychiatrist. Right. Um, and the other part of me, while I'm sitting here talking to him, is certain that this guy is a baby serial killer and in his office he has this wooden crate that's full of dirt and i'm convinced that he keeps a dead baby in there and he gets off on it you know hearing people's traumatic childhoods while he's you know a child killer and he also had these little figurines and from the van the vantage point where i was sitting it totally looked like um a figurine of like a child giving of an adult a blow job like it really did in my mind and so i thought this guy's one sick um one sick man and and i believed it and it was my reality and um luckily my therapist um scheduled a meeting with me right after i went to the psychiatrist so i was able to tell her what i what i saw and she pointed out to me that the box of that I thought was a box of dirt was actually a sand tray that you can use with kids um, to help them kind of 
mm. the figurines in the sand and they can use it to kind of tell stories to the therapist. So supposedly that's what that was, but <laughs> <laughs> you're not convinced. I'm not convinced. No, no, I know. I knew that, um, I knew that it was me, but it still didn't make it any less real in that moment to me. So how, how many total appointments did you have with this psychiatrist? That was your first one with him? That was the only one. He actually okay. prescribed um, Abilify and um, was curious if I had bipolar disorder or not. But um, I was seeing him out of pocket instead of through my um, Kaiser network so i decided not to go that route and so it wasn't because he was a baby killer no i like that about him (laughs) (laughs) seriously or are you just kidding i think i'm serious yeah uh so take me back to your this uh, when you were in college you went and you staked out her house you saw when she went to to bed etc was that the extent of that one? That that's as far as it as it went. That's that's pretty much as far as I went. And I mean, this just happened repeatedly over the years, and I never, I always feared getting caught, and so eventually, or the fantasy would wear off, and I would lose interest and and move on. Um, did you? Did it make it easier to get out of bed in the morning, thinking I, I'm going to go stake this person's thing out, or did it feel like an obligation that you had? Oh no, it was exciting. It was exciting. Yeah. Um, would you be out with friends then and be ruminating about I can't wait for this dinner to wrap up so I can go take care of that? Was it was the thinking about it interfering with your the rest of your life? Yeah, I mean, the rest of my life was interfering with me thinking about it, yeah, yeah. So it was at the top of the list of what made you feel good. Yeah, absolutely. And that's probably, I imagine, why you identify with serial killers is because it felt like such a strong compulsion that it was like this other thing inside of you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think anybody who's an addict, and and the reason why I'm asking so many of these questions is, is as an addict, I've always identified with with serial killers, um, but you know my thing, my compulsion was dr- drinking booze, smoking weed, looking at pornography, something like that. But it's still a compulsion, something where I would promise myself I'm not going to do that today or tonight, and then I would find myself doing it. Whenever you hear serial killers talk about it, it's like I couldn't stop. I wanted to stop. I wanted to to get caught. And I've always um, been grateful that my thing isn't killing people, you know? Um, it's so brave of you to, to share that because that's um, – that's a hard thing to accept about yourself, I would imagine. The interesting thing is that this is one of the few things I've known about myself definitively for most of my life. Everything else, because of all my other childhood stuff, has been really confusing or crazy-making, or I'm just now figuring it out now that I've really um, dove into therapy. Um, this is kind of the one thing that's remained therapy consistently started- me. Therapy started th- three years ago. Three years ago. Um, yeah, and you said you're a huge advocate of therapy, that it's yeah. really helped you. Do yeah. you credit it with helping ease these serial killing fantasies? Yeah, because I think it's, um, in in my long list of other issues, I think um, 
it's all rooted back to childhood and defense mechanisms and, you know, how I deal with anxiety or how I deal with feelings. Um, It all goes back to that. So to me, this is just another byproduct of many, like many others of that. We're going to uh, pause here and give a little bit of love to our sponsor, Sherry's Berries. If you guys have never had Sherry's Berries, you don't know what you're missing. They are so delicious and chocolatey. And the my wife bit into one and she just looked at me. She went, oh, my God, these berries are so fresh and they're big. And they're covered with a variety of uh, of things. You can get chocolate chips, a decorative swizzle or nuts, uh, white milk and dark chocolatey goodness. Why would you not want to do it? Um it starts at $19.99. Um, you can get uh, over 40% off. Go to berries.com. That's B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. Click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner and type in the word mental. That's our specific code. And if you use that, you can also double the berries for just 10 bucks more. You know, get them for somebody you love. Even better, get some for yourself. We talk about self-love a lot on the podcast. Why not be your own best friend? You're standing right there. So visit berries.com. B e r r i e s dot com, or uh, eight six, or you can call eight six six fruit zero two. But if you do it uh, through the website, go to berries dot com, click on the microphone in the right hand corner, and make sure you use our offer code, mental. Order today. And the environment you grew up in, you know, being molested by your brother, having invalidating parents who had very narrow worldviews that were inflexible, the alcoholic relatives. One of your uncles, you said, was predatory. Um, yeah, how could a little kid's brain not want to escape to somewhere else? Yeah, I think the. Um, in addition to that, the being exposed to my grandmother when she had um, cancer, really did a number on me because there were so many times when she was yelling out for, I don't know, help, <laughs> just yelling because of the intensity of her pain. And there was nothing I could do, but I still, you know, I can't get that sound out of my head. Um, and were you um, fond of her? Was she fond of you? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, yeah. She was... Um, Yeah, that was my dad's mother, and she was uh, probably one of my main, you know, babysitters, I guess. And but you know, I was eight years old. I don't remember too well. Do you did you have feelings of her that were where you felt protected or safe around her? Who who in the family did you feel safe or protected by? Was there anybody? There really wasn't. Um, if my grandmother had lived alone, then I would probably say yes. But I had an uncle that lived at that house who was alcoholic and had um, some severe mental illness. And, you know, even at that age, that guy creeped me out a lot. <laughs> and But nothing specifically happened. He was just gave off a weird vibe. Yeah. And he, um, you know, he came home drunk pretty much every... Well, he worked nights and... Then after that, I think he went to strip clubs about every single night. Um, And so he'd come home in the middle, you know, wee hours of the morning or something. So I didn't really see him too often. Um, 
But when I did see him, he would talk about how pretty I looked or um, he would just behave bizarrely. Like he, because of his mental illness, he would walk around like with his robe open full, you know, fully nude. And there's just some weird exposure and scary behavior. Um, it had to have been terrifying. I think so. <laughs> Why do you say think so? I don't, I still have a, a hard time getting in touch with how things must have felt. You were I just, can imagine that's true. <laughs> were, did you, were you dissociating? Were you numb? Where, where did you, do you remember thinking or feeling anything when you would be faced with that intense inappropriateness, whatever you want to call it? I mostly remember just trying to be invisible and just You know, I didn't, especially when my grandmother was sick, there wasn't really anything I could do, but I felt like I should be doing something. And most of the time I just sat next to her bed for hours on end um, and tried to be quiet and tried to be yeah. helpful. <laughs> That's mostly what I remember. It's kind of heartbreaking hearing about that little, that little girl that wanted to disappear, you know, that it's like... To connect was so, it sounds like that was even off the table, the desire to connect. So it's like, no, I think a more reasonable solution is to just be invisible. And that's what I find kind of heartbreaking in really abusive homes is, you know, like in semi-abusive homes, the kids want more time with the parents you know the parents are maybe disinterested but when the real you get the really abusive homes it's like i want to be invisible and it's starting to make sense to me the serial killing fantasy because it's a way where your invisibility is is a plus it's you're invisible and powerful as opposed to being invisible and powerless right and i somehow have the ability to you know to take out bad people why I think they're bad, I have no idea. But have you ever fantasized about um, killing your brother or the creepy uncle? Not the same kind of fantasy. <laughs> Not the same um, fantasy where it's almost like a delusion takes over. Um, I've definitely hated my brother so much that I wanted to kill him. Yeah, but it's different. It's more from hate, not from like power or pleasure. I see. Um, I have some, my memories from childhood's a bit choppy too, just because, <laughs> you know, I don't know, age and just abuse and all that. Yeah. Um, I do have some memories of like standing in my parents' room holding a knife and and things like that. Um, uh, confronting who? I didn't, it was the middle of the night while they were sleeping, I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> while okay. they're sleeping. Um, thinking about stabbing. Thinking about it. About yeah. stabbing them. Yeah. Yeah. What do you th what comes up when you recall that and you say that out loud? If anything. I mean, right this second, <laughs> I I feel like I can't I'm talking about somebody else and the story isn't believable, but it was me and it happened, you know. I totally believe you. 
but it's kind of unbelievable. But that it happened. You know, when we talked on the phone, um, I, I felt that you were a safe person through your email because there were just little details and little things that you said where, you know, I've come across people doing the podcast that don't feel safe to me. And I can usually tell through an email and you definitely tell sometimes when I meet somebody in person, but I didn't, there was a, there was a vulnerability in your email and a self-awareness that, um, well, I guess when I say the, the the people that I don't feel safe around, it's the people that I don't that, that can't get vulnerable, that I don't feel a connection to. That's that's a better way of of, of phrasing it. Um, but I didn't get that with you in your emails or in person, I, and I think that's why. Um, I think that's why I'm so touched by your story because it. Um, I don't know how to put it into words. I don't know how to put it into words, but um, I'm just kind of awestruck at how much your soul has endured from what happened to you to how your brain processed it and left you with this monkey playing an accordion in your head. (laughs) You know, because I often feel like that's the scars of trauma is just a variation of a monkey playing an accordion in your head. It's not who we are. It's just something that got put there. What's coming up for you right now? Uh, I I think that's incredibly nice. It's so nice for me to talk about I actually forgot that I told you about the serial killer thing, so it's probably <laughs> probably good that you that's caught me the, off guard with that. Um, <laughs> that's the most interesting thing, you know. Or, to me, or, it's not as it, interesting as it might be to you. Um, it's fascinating to me. Um, go ahead. But to talk about, to say this out loud to another human and have them say something back with such kind of compassion and understanding is amazing. It feels really good. Thank you. <laughs> Well, you're welcome. I think anybody listening to this feels the exact same way because there's, um, you know, what I, what I I think what I find so beautiful is your innocence and vulnerability hasn't been erased despite all you've been through. And those are the guests that, that move me the most are the ones that still have that light. The light hasn't gone out because I've interviewed a few people where the light is out and they, and as much as I try to connect to them, I can't. And it's, it always bums me out as the producer of this podcast and also just as a fellow human mm-hmm. being. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's so, um, so cool uh, about you. Um, as she pulls a knife out and stabs Paul <laughs> in the neck. <laughs> and he gurgles, how ironic. I should have. I should have been more patient in my judgment. <laughs> be the best podcast ever. <laughs> um, talk about, maybe this is too sensational, but I, I want to know the answer to this. What 
describe some of the killings that you fantasized about carrying out in in detail? They usually involve, and again, I don't know why, but they usually involve stabbing people in the throat, specifically the throat. So I knew it. I fucking knew that about you. Do me a favor. Just make sure that door is not unlocked, isn't locked, in case I need to make a quick getaway. She's silently laughing, by the way. Um, so stabbing them in the neck. Yeah, I mean, again, it's I didn't think I would physically overpower anyone, especially when I was a teenage girl. But um, so it's usually an element of surprise, or um, it's usually just a matter of like, how could I do it without getting caught? How could I, you know, intrude their privacy of their home and get in and get out fast? Um, but it almost always involves stabbing in the neck. I don't know why. Would you also fantasize about hiding the crime, cleaning up, getting rid of the weapon? Or was it just to the point of killing them? Would there be satisfaction in watching them hit the floor and bleed? No, I think there'd be satisfaction in getting out of there without getting caught. Um, And most of my fantasies had to do with the prep work and the stalking. It really was all about the process and less about the actual doing. So less about violence and more about cleverness and invisibility. Yeah. Yeah. Was your was your brother clever in how he manipulated you into um the incest? Uh, he was um and and my brother's 5 years older than me and considerably bigger um physically just i don't know um set that up but um and it started when you were how old and continued i mean it was from as early as i can remember i usually say five but i don't um it was probably right around five i mean i remember having some issues um incest related issues um in you know first grade maybe second grade so i know it was happening by then and that what do, would what be what do you mean when you say incest related issues well that would be like um when i mean when a child and i don't know what this is like for men but for or for boys but for girls if you're stimulated in that way a lot sexually then you don't just turn that off or it doesn't just um happened during kind of a, a a sex event or rape event or whatever you want to call that, you are kind of um, agitated. Sexually, sexually charged. Sexually yeah. charged. Um, and so, you know, then so people will do a lot of like excessive masturbation or things like that. And I definitely, I was doing some of that at, at school and, um, and, you know, I distinctly remember that because I had teachers, you know, a teacher specifically asked me what was what was going on. And it was embarrassing. So I remember that. <laughs> um, but so my brother, so I was young, and my brother was really young. And I think it's probably fair to say that when that started, when it first started, it was definitely not 
definitely not okay, or I, won't, I wouldn't use the word consensual. I'm too young to understand what's happening. But it was probably a little more playful, less violent. I mean, he was too, it was just too young. Um, it was still inappropriate and still damaging. Um, but as time went on, um, it became exponentially more violent and more sadistic. And it wasn't just um, sexual abuse. It was physical abuse and... Um, emotional. Emotional, psychological. And that, I think, was probably where I got some sadistic fantasies. <laughs> what hurt the most, the the sexual abuse, the physical abuse, or the emotional abuse? I remember the physical abuse the most. So I, I don't know back then, but what I remember now um, is some of my some of my beatings that my brother gave me and um like and he did he did it he did lots of you know sometimes we'd have fights and he would just uh beat me but then a lot of times he had kind of these ways that it was more sadistic for him for example like um once we were out playing in a field where they had this equipment to drag softball fields or baseball fields with it and so it was like railroad ties and fencing or whatever and the railroad ties had these nails sticking out of them mm -hmm. and so he teeter-tottered them and asked me to come you know to come over and when I did he jumped on it so the nails came up and they went through one of my one of my ears and um Jesus yeah things like that <laughs> that was one of the worst ones um but there was lots of, he really liked shoving me off of things, off stairs, off high things. Was somebody abusing him? I was the uncle have doing to think stuff? so. I have no idea. I have no idea. Were your parents um, physically punishing? Sometimes, not habitually, occasionally. The, uh, the other thing I'm interested in is you talk about one of the things you said in the email is you haven't heard from anybody else who has the delusions and the disassociation and the um, uh, hallucinations that you do that doesn't have schizophrenia. And talk about your relationship to your body and the tricks that it plays on you when it started it, was there a progression to it and where you are today yeah it? this is one of the main reasons i wanted to do this podcast was because it's so hard to find this information out there or at least it has been for me um and certainly when i was a kid it was impossible um but i um I, I kind of remember things from before I was 10 years old and after I was 10 years old because we moved houses then. So that's really a clear um, point for me. Um, so before I was 10, I remember I started having hallucinations, delusions, night terrors, nightmares. Um, and they often involved things like my, I had a doll and, um, I, also, I had a bunk bed and I slept on the top bunk. My brother was on the bottom bunk. 
and we had um, like a bookshelf in the top at the top of the bookshelf was a doll and so that's what I saw at nighttime and I had um, sleeping nightmares where the doll was trying to kill me uh, with a knife and um, I had waking delusions um, you know I was wide awake it could be middle of the day um, where the doll had like bruising on its face uh, on its face or burn marks or things like that it was somehow distorted or injured um, and did you know that you that your mind was playing a trick on you or no. did you so you really thought oh my god the doll's a living thing absolutely. that's been bruised oh my absolutely. god oh my god absolutely and um and then right you know right around then my grandmother had the cancer and eventually she passed but i started having really dark um nightmares um and then we at this right the year she died we moved um to a different a different house and from that point at that house i kept hearing things all the time um and this is where my parents being really religious starts to play a factor um because I was really avid in the church and it wasn't just any church. It's like the Holy Roller, you know, Southern Baptist church. Um, what city was this that you were? This was in Kansas city. Okay. Um, because I had, I have this, you know, this kind of indoctrination of good and evil. And when I, when I kept having these hallucinations where I would hear things or think I'd see things, um, or feel things. I didn't think, sometimes I thought maybe it's a ghost. I didn't think I'm having mental health issues. I thought either the devil wants to get me or God wants to get me. And so in my mind, I had this spiritual war going on and my soul was at stake. Um, wow, that's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and frightening. And so some of the hallucinations I would have would be like anything from tactile, like I felt like, and these these were usually not always around bedtime, or when I was in bed, um, but something like pinning me down where I can't move at all, um, but you you know I could feel it, and um, like I'd see someone in the house that wasn't there, um, I would hear banging, I uh, my music box in my mind would go off spontaneously or my tv in my mind would just come off and on um and sometimes i tell this i've told this much <laughs> of my story to some friends sometimes and they usually will say well maybe it was ghosts or something i just want to say fuck you <laughs> it's <laughs> mental health <laughs> um so i went to my um I did. The only time I went to somebody for help on this, I went to my youth minister at the time and told her about these um, experiences I was having. And she said that it was because of... You're not praying hard enough? Exactly, because of sin in my life. Yeah, how could that go bad? <laughs> how could that go bad? Going to Holy Roller for mental advice. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, so that just doubled down, you know, my anxiety about what's going on, what's going on with my soul. And I had lots of nightmares where, like, 
God was raping me or the devil was raping me and I worried about if I was pregnant. And I don't think these are all terribly uncommon dreams um, for kids who are scared to death about you the just, Bible. You, you just don't see them in coloring books enough. <laughs> Boy, that would, be a, that would be in the bargain bin after a week. What the devil wants to do when I close my eyes. You laugh, but I used art therapy to help me, and I drew a, a coloring book of that. And the, and the first five pages is just his scaly cock continuing from one page to the next. You're the devil. How could you not have five pages worth of cock? She is laughing with me, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Her her laughter is it's very quiet, but I want you to know I'm doing well in the room. I am not uh I'm not dying. Um so you went to her and uh got a big basket of awfulsome. Uh then what happened? And you were how old at this at this point? Uh, this is probably late teens, high school. Okay. Um, at, at what point did you um, come out or realize that you were gay? I think I always knew. I had a first uh, crush when I was in first grade with the with the girl that lived in the neighborhood. <laughs> Didn't look back from there. Yeah. I mean, I've had relationships with, with men and, um, and with couples and things like that. But in terms of what really works for me is, is women. I was talking to a, a friend today who's uh, she's a lesbian and she's a she was molested by a, somebody when she was a teenager. Um, I would call it more serial serial rape because you can't you can't consent to a fucking 30 or 40 year old person when you're 15 years old um especially when that person's highly manipulative and um one of the things that she said is and i see this all the time in surveys where people fill it out uh, especially guys where they they don't identify as even being bisexual but they have sexual fantasies um you know they were molested by a man and they have sexual fantasies that revolve around somebody having a penis but it's they don't feel that there's any emotional attachment to it it's almost like a almost like a fetish um for lack of a better word is and then there's people that you know just the idea of a penis or something is horrifying and triggering and some people where it's both where where would you put yourself in that in that category if at all i think a lot of my um what's your relationship to the penis i I guess that's what i'm how's that for an awful fucking question is that a creepy question Uh, yes but i'll answer it Um, okay is it (laughs) no um no, I think most of my fantasy, you know, when when you're just fantasizing at home or you're watching porn or whatever, the things that kind of get me off are like big penises and um, more so than even lesbian sex. But so I wasn't wrong, <laughs> right? So there right. is 
Huh? I think you're right. Okay, good. Because as I was asking the question, I was like, oh, Paul, is this you being a fucking pervert? Is I second-guess myself so much sometimes, but I read this in the surveys all the time yeah. by, by people that don't want a relationship with the body that carries the penis, but they are sexually attracted to the genitalia. Yeah. But go ahead, I cut you off. You were starting to talk about the devil's cock. <laughs> um, actually, the scenario that probably gets me off the most is is a threesome with a girl and a guy. But I'm definitely in that scenario way more interested in the girl than I am the guy. But the combination of the two somehow, I really like that. That does something. That's so funny because that's what my friend shared today hmm. with me. That that's, but she said that she would only want it uh, to happen once. Hmm. She would be in a relationship, and that this her girlfriend would just bring a man home once. And I thought that was interesting. Why? Uh, why just once? Right. If it's good. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, that one fascinates me. Um, I used to think the first 50 times I read that in a survey by a guy who had been, been molested by another guy as a kid, and he was saying, I'm not gay, but my most powerful fantasy is thinking about blowing a guy or getting fucked in the ass. I would think this guy just hasn't come out yet. This guy's just not comfortable with his sexuality yet. But after reading the 50th one of these, I went... Oh, maybe it's just a thing like somebody that enjoys the foot or the back of the neck or anything else. It's just. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't thought about it that much, but I can say that the visuals that society puts in your face all the time is very penis heavy. How so? Because um, I always think of the female body as the thing that's put in your face all the time. I always feel like there's a double standard that that um, <laughs> that men aren't exploited enough. But it's the guy, but to the to the male's advantage, right? Like it's the guy who's kind of getting off or being excited. Um, Are you talking about in pornogra pornography just or just in, in the TV, media, movies, commercials, whatever? Like the girl is there to stimulate. The guy, the focus is on. Oh, the I male. see. I thought you meant graphically, visually. It's on the, it's on the guy's body. That's what I thought you meant. Oh, you mean from, you mean from the point of view of the man that it's all from the man's point of view. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're going to subtly implant um, ideas in people's heads uh, again and again and again, it, the the message is, is that there should be a guy there and he should be getting off on this and i see i don't i don't know i i think that's true i think 90 percent of media has always been from the man's point of view and i think i think that's why shows like girls and um the, at a loss to think of another one um uh transparent are so refreshing to see because it's like we're getting other people's point of view about their sexuality and their opinion on things and their opinion on men. Um, it's, I think we've, we've had our share of men's opinion of men. 
Um, right. At least in a in a certain expression. There's a certain expression of it. I think uh, many of us are tired of. Where were we before I got us sidetracked? <laughs> the devil's oh, penis. <laughs> the devil's the devil's scaly five page cock, which is a good name for a band. I'm completely stealing that bit from from uh, Jimmy Pardo. Whenever something like that comes up on his podcast, they always uh, pretend as if that's a that it's a band name. Um. So. Before we got off on the the whole tangent about uh, a relationship to the being a lesbian and the relationship to the to the penis, um, we were talking about the hallucinations. You seeing the uh, the doll face, the bruising on the doll. Um, what else do you remember? And what? Wh- oh no, I know what it was. The so you went to the pastor, the female. A church lady who told you to to pray more and what did you remember saying anything to her um no i think i probably thought she was somewhat right oh that breaks my heart yeah and at the same you know and again i was two people right i was uh you know devout christian doing tons of community service work great student, good all around girl next door. (laughs) Um, And then I was also this person who thought about killing people all the time and had a real... Did you share that with her? No. Okay. Um, Were you aware of the BTK killer around that time? No, I wasn't. Because he was in Kansas and he was killing people and would have been during that time period in the 70s and 80s. Maybe I was. Maybe. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe that was me. <laughs> He's a fascinating guy. Go ahead. So you get shot down by her. Then what do you do? You, you just feel probably like an even worse person. Yeah, I just lived with it. And, um, you know, I had more, um, you know, eventually my um, brother stopped messing with me. But then I had an uncle move into the into my parents' house, um, to our house. And even though this uncle never molested me, he was constantly grooming me, constantly. And what was he doing? He would just, I mean, for one, he didn't really have a job or steady job, so he was always there. And um, Is this the alcoholic or a different no, one? No, a different one. Okay. And, um, and is this the guy that had the mental illness or the other guy? Well... A different one. So the alcoholic also had a severe mental illness. Okay. This guy also has something wrong with him, clearly. Yeah. But um, is this the robe guy, the open robe guy? No. Oh Jesus! Well, everything that you're talking about is one one uncle. Oh, okay. That lived at my grandma's house. Um, okay, this is a different. This is a different uncle. And um, your grandma did quite a job. <laughs> different grandma. <laughs> different grandma. Okay. Um, <laughs> of course, not the one that died from cancer. <laughs> no. The one who is de- no, one decent. Is. <laughs> She's got to go. <laughs> she she can't live in the fucking circus tent anymore. <laughs> uh, well, this this uncle um, just kept trying to 
you know, I was a goody two shoes, but he kept trying to corrupt me, like get me to drink. And, um, he was, he wouldn't leave me alone. So even if my door was shut and it was clear, I didn't want to be bothered. It didn't, it didn't matter. Like he would find reasons to come talk to me. Was he living with you? Yes. Where were your parents? What would they, did they see any of this inappropriateness going on? I mean, that's the million dollar question of my entire childhood is where were my parents? (laughs) Yeah. What were they doing? They worked a lot. They had hobbies. They just were not around. And when they were around, they didn't, they weren't plugged in at all. Do you ever, have you gotten in touch with uh, any rage about that? Mm, not as much as I should. I have moments in therapy when I do. Um, but no. What what emotions have you gotten in touch with in, in therapy? And and I want to get back to the, the, the uncle that was grooming you because I'm always fascinated by the the sick genius of the uh the predator but go ahead the uh what was the question the th- therapy uh, have uh-huh. you gotten in touch or do you want to hold off on that and finish we could finish Let, with that let's, let's finish with the grooming guy and then get to um, what feelings have come up in in therapy yeah so this uncle i mean he you know i was in high school at the time and we lived right down the street from my high school so I was I was home you know alone more than um you know when when other people weren't there and he was there a lot and so it's everything from just constantly making me tea trying to make me food um and I would say no every time because even if I was hungry or I mean that's another thing like I practiced I lived in my room pretty much um and, you know, it didn't matter if I had to skip meals or whatever. I just wasn't going to come out and interact. And um, Because of him or just everybody? At that time, because of him. Yeah. And um, Even more than your brother? At that time, my brother, again, was five years older, so he was kind of off on college route at that point. Um, and not really, you know, interested in, in me or that anymore. Um, but... Yeah, it didn't matter how much of a cold shoulder I gave. It didn't matter, you know, how many times I said no. This, this, you know, my uncle was just persistently trying to reach out, <laughs> I guess. And yeah, I don't know. He would get a dog, and he, you know, he got a dog, and he would use the dog, like, wow. you know, do you want to play with the dog and things like that. Of course, I did, but I wasn't going to, you know. Um. Were you aware that this was what he was trying to do? Yeah, it's almost the opposite. Like, I wonder if because of my history of abuse, if I fantasized that that was what he was trying to do, and maybe he wasn't. But I think that's what he was doing. <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it sounds like it. And he was older. You know, he had no business making a 15, 16-year-old his you know, only person he tries to hang out with. Yeah. That's not that's, okay. No, that's weird. Yeah. That is one safe, uh, unsafe environment that, uh, that you grew up in. But, you know, at the time I thought this is kind of what life was like. I didn't really realize that it was that unusual. 
Isn't it weird how our normal is sometimes takes two decades after we get out of it to go maybe that maybe that wasn't homespun <laughs> what i what I endured. How old were you the first time that you went? Maybe it's not me. Maybe where I was raised was fucked up, and that is honestly the first day of therapy. Talk about that. When I was 37 years old. <laughs> Three years ago. <laughs> yeah. Talk about that first day. I mean, I, I, um, I'm I, not really super in touch with my emotions, obviously. And, um, and going to therapy was the last, you know, I, I knew that there were such things as psychologists, but I didn't ever imagine why anyone would go to them or what they really did. Um, but I got into this really, really bad depression that, and I had a horrible year. I had a, a really bad breakup. I got a DUI. I had a lump removed from my breast. I got mugged. This was all in a few months. <laughs> and <laughs> you, you are a fucking survivor, man. You are a fucking survivor <laughs> and a scary killer. <laughs> um, and, um, would you wear clown makeup when you stalk people? Because <laughs> I got to say that I don't know if anybody's done yet, that yet, and I just think that would be a nice touch. <laughs> Plus, if you could be invisible while wearing clown makeup, you would feel super powerful. But it would be tough tiptoeing in clown shoes. That would that would not be easy. <laughs> squeak, squeak! I think somebody's behind me. Go, go ahead. Um, I totally forgot what I was talking about. Therapy. Oh, so, um, yeah, so I was at rock bottom and there was nothing I could do. This went on for a good six months. There was, you know, I felt like I was down to like, okay, either I'm going to kill myself or, and I hadn't been suicidal up to that point ever. Um, you know, or I need to figure out something because whatever I'm doing to try to self-care is just not working. And um, I'd never had this kind of major depression before. Um, so one day I was drinking and I thought, okay, I'm going to pick a therapist real quick and I'm just going to do this. And so I just picked a therapist real quick <laughs> and, uh, and you know, went in and it was, it was and probably still is the hardest thing I ever done in my entire life and yet the most like absolutely rewarding thing I could imagine doing. What's the hard part leading up to the appointment or once you walk through the door? Once I walk through the door. So my first appointment, I thought kind of naively again, I don't know anything about therapy that, um, that we were going to talk about my depression and that's what I came in for. So that's what I want to talk about. And of course she first, the first thing she goes to is asking questions about my childhood and I did the usual happy face of like, yeah, I have an older brother and my parents and Kansas City and, um, you know, things weren't so bad. I was a good student, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I went home that night and it was going to be another week before my next appointment with her. And I, re I knew right then that if I was going to do this, I had to be completely honest and with myself <laughs> That that was not true. Not one single word of what I said was true. And that was the, f and then I got this physical reaction before I even had kind of this, 
logical way I was going to approach it. I had the worst migraine I've ever had in my entire life, and I was physically sick for a week. Um, you know, and I think I just recovered by time. It was time to go in and have the next appointment. And in the next appointment, I just sat down right away and I said, okay, here's what my childhood was really like. And I just threw it all out there for the first time. Did you get emotional when you did it? Or was it just kind of, uh, do you feel removed from it still? There, there are times when I do get emotional. I have a hard time getting emotional in front of someone. So like in front of you right now or in front of her, or my therapist. Um, but I do at times and sometimes I get emotional and I can't say why. I don't know what it is that's making me sad or, um, I can't say like, well, I was just thinking about this very specific moment or thought. Um, um, but I've, but for a good year after my first year of therapy and I, I went twice a week, um, I had some at home alone. I had times when I like wailed, which I've never, you know, I'm not a crier. <laughs> wailed? Wailed. Yeah. yeah like okay. full, like animalistic bawling. And those, those are the best. Yeah. <laughs> And um, the ones when you're on all fours and you can actually feel your sphincter dilate when you cry. Those are <laughs> those are the good ones. Crying, moving the cry up from the butthole. That's that's the best way to. Nothing is more cathartic than that. <laughs> uh, so being home by yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think it. So it's just, I think, just the putting myself through therapy and making a commitment to be completely honest and real and just see where that goes that was the first time i really was like oh yeah my childhood was awful because i literally put it out of my head and ran away from that and then it was later in therapy that i started making these associations that okay a childhood abuse that to me felt like a million years ago is directly connected to how i am now and my little psychotic episodes that i have um, my anxiety issues, my depression issues, like you you name it. Um, it took me a while to make that connection in a real felt kind of way. Is there uh, any medicine that helps you with the psychotic episodes? When was the last time you had one? And are you worried that you're going to have them in the future? Um, I, I have hallucinations. Um, I'd say on average one a month. Um, they usually come in clusters. Auditory? Tactile. You name it. Um, the last one I had, um, I thought I heard someone outside my window where I live yelling for help, like repeatedly. And so I went downstairs and looked out the window. I couldn't see anything. Um, I called 911, reported it. And then I went to change clothes to go out and see what's going on. And as I was changing clothes, I was like, that something about that wasn't quite right or real, the way in which that person was yelling for help, um, the rhythm in which they were doing that. Um, and so I went uh, and looked, and there was nothing there, and I asked my neighbors, and they didn't hear anything. So that's an example of hmm. one that I could have. Um, and sometimes they're simpler, like I'll just hear some banging right above my head or something like that. Or a lot of times I think there's an earthquake when there isn't, which I think is kind of common. Um I haven't found anyone, any psychiatrist, not that I've been shopping around, or my therapist who seem terribly alarmed by this um, because my my quality of life isn't hurt. Um, you know, they're brief, they go away. So no one's 
propose that I take a drug for this. What they have been managing is and I, my... And, and I wasn't suggesting yeah, you take yeah. a drug. I, I couldn't remember in your email if you said that that was uh, addressed. Through, because you did mention that getting on something had, had helped you. Helps. So, so the tactic that um, I think my therapist and psychiatrist are using is to manage my anxiety levels. Hmm. And so I'm starting to learn, and I'm, in, I'm still in this process, but what I'm starting to identify is that when I get really stressed, like going in front of a psychiatrist for the first time to tell my story, and I start having this delusion that he's a, a serial killer, killer yeah. <laughs> is probably because my anxiety is through the roof and I just don't notice. You know, that's how I'm handling it. Mm. Um, so managing the anxiety has helped me. So that's the core. That's the core, exactly. And I think, um, you know, and I have other, you know, I, I used to be able to handle violence, no problem at all. Um, but in the last... Seeing it on TV, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, or dishing out an ass whooping. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but in the last two years, that just flipped, um, probably because of my therapy. And now I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm really sensitive to violence and it can make me have like a panic attack or, um, kind of out of body-ish experiences mm-hmm. and things like that. And, um... Yeah, I went to watch the movie 12 Years a Slave and serious violence, serious violence. And um, I actually fainted in the movie theater, woke up when the credits were rolling. (laughs) So I have a hard time with the violence, not always, but sometimes now. Are there any other things that trigger you? I, I don't I mean, definitely. When I start really thinking or talking about my childhood, it tends to stir some stuff up. Um, But if I kind of, you know, I used to have a lot of high anxiety and was a workaholic and things like, the more I control that, Mm -hmm. oh, and I had chronic insomnia and nightmares, I don't have those anymore. You said 80% of the nights that you would sleep, you would have nightmares. Yeah, I actually did a study on myself and my friends. And most of my friends had between 5 and 10% of the month they would have nightmares at night and I was at 80. Mm. Um, when yeah. you say stuff comes up, when you talk about your your childhood, can you be more specific? Is it anxiety? I mean, I... Sadness? I, anger? No, I mean, my... I'd like to get to those, to anger or sadness... But I'm not quite there yet. I'm still, um, like, when I process an emotion, it doesn't come out that way. It comes out more in the form of, like, a hallucination or a feeling of kind of depersonalization or derealization or the psychotic idea or, you know, fainting, panic attacks and things like that. Have you been triggered since we started the interview? No, no. We'll see what happens tonight, but no, <laughs> no, I'm doing much better, much better. And my anxiety for the first time in my life is almost next to none. Wow. Um, from the Zoloft, I think, in the therapy. Um, and the stabbing. And the stabbing. Uh, sweet, sweet the murder stabbing. Release. Sweet, sweet stabbing. But I did bring a Xanax in case I needed it, but I didn't yeah. take it. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we uh, do some fears and loves? Um, no. 
I think we covered a lot of stuff. We did. Thank you so much for your honesty. Hit me with fear. Some fears. Um, if I think of some, I'll jump in with some. Okay. Um, so, I have lots of fears. I had a really, I had a hard time with the loves, but the fears <laughs> are easy. Um, I'm terrified of getting into a relationship. And this is kind of a newer development. I've always, I've never been too eager. Every relationship I've ever had, I've just kind of fallen into. I've never pursued it. Um, but now I just feel like I have zero kind of psychic space to share with anybody in a, in a relationship. And, um, and in addition to that, like, um, I tend to attract or I have attracted narcissists either full on or that's the characteristic I bring out most in them. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm tired of it. So I'm kind of afraid of relationships. You, you understand that um, most people who were victims of childhood sexual abuse have huge struggles with intimacy very often. That it's overwhelming the fear of being smothered or having responsibility towards that person. That that's totally normal. And did you know that? You know, I didn't. I thought when you say fear of inti intimacy, you mean like not you, but you know, like that sex. Sex is meant, and I, I don't no. have an issue with that. But it's the smothering. And am I going to have to take care of this person? What do they want from me? Exactly. Yeah. Emotional closeness. That's yeah. um, speaking up for yourself. That to me is like the bedrock of intimacy, a mature, loving relationship. For me, it really starts with saying the things that are difficult to say and saying it in a loving way. That to me, from my 27 years of being in a relationship with somebody that has been the thing that has been the the linchpin for for growth is speaking up when it's the most difficult and that's uh, there was nothing that scared me more than that because i think for years i felt like i didn't deserve to speak up because i'm a piece of shit you know, everybody else has got it going on and I'm a doofus and uh, I should just accept whatever life deals and then baffled why I'm looking at porn for six hours or can't stop drinking mm -hmm. or, you know, doing whatever. But it, it sounds totally normal to me that that fear and I have the feeling that the more you heal, the less scary intimacy is going to become. Mm -hmm. That's what my therapist says, but my other fear is that I'm not sure that that's ever going to turn around. <laughs> um, yeah, and I find myself getting more and more, my introversion just keeps getting, I don't know if that's age or what, but I'm just so self-satisfied. And, you know, I've got my dog that I love to death, and I don't really need anything else. And <laughs> the further I get away from being in relationships, the happier I am. I'm not sure if I'm going to turn that around. Mm. It's kind of a fear because I'm afraid that that's unhealthy. 
That you're on your way to cat lady. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Give me another one. I'm terrified of, I mean, like I could shake thinking about ever talking to my parents. And I don't even mean about all the stuff that happened when I was a kid. I just mean about anything emotional whatsoever. When was the last time you talked to them? Just, um, you mean just talk? Um, Oh, you mean opening up to your parents? Are you? you, Yeah, I mean, I mean, so I've never had an emotional kind of meaningful conversation with my parents ever. And so I would mean even just saying like, this is who I am. These are my belief systems. Um, You know, I don't even, I don't even need to go to like, I'm gay, which would be terrifying but they don't know you're gay i don't think so i don't think they know anything about me what's their number (laughs) five 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 yeah (laughs) um you know i i saw them once a couple years ago and i did manage to bring up and it took every ounce of (laughs) strength i had to say that to tell them that when they left me with my grandmother that that was really hard on me and what did they say my dad didn't say anything. My mom just kind of paused and she's like, it probably was. And that was, that was it. But that was a lot for me. <laughs> that was validating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know why I feel like, I mean, I know why, but I'd like to get past this feeling like a child or so impotent or something around them. I, the confrontation's terrifying. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I try, my therapist has asked me to think that, like, what would that look like or What's the worst that could happen? My mind just goes blank. I can't even imagine. But I'd like to get past that. Give me another one. Um, I have have a fear that my therapist is going to tell me that there's absolutely nothing wrong with me and she doesn't know why I'm in therapy. (laughs) 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 <laughs> I don't think any person has ever been told that. I'm sure people have been, but I think it was told to them by a therapist who wasn't very good. Because <laughs> I think everybody could benefit from therapy. That's a good point. That's a good point. I uh, I think I I worry that, you know, therapists have a hard job because they want to normalize your experiences. Mm-hmm. Say, well, that's a normal reaction to a abnormal situation, but they can't. They also can't be dismissive of what mm-hmm. you know, how crazy you think you are. It's well, like, the next time a therapist tells you that, if they do, describe the nightgown they sleep in to them. <laughs> <laughs> you like to sleep in frilly nightgowns, don't you? <laughs> Your alarm clock is so jolting. Give me one more, and then we'll do some loves. Um, I have a um, ab, kind of. I worry all the time about losing the ability to take care of myself. Um, so I've always, you know, I've had to pay for everything myself my entire life, and um, and I don't have a, I don't have a safety net. Um, 
you know, other than my own savings, but I worry and I have a good job. I have a great job. Um, and I have a great savings and I own my place. So I, I've built my own safety net, but I don't trust it. And I feel like I worry all the time that I'm going to lose my job, even though they're just, <laughs> I'm the boss, I'm not going to fire me. And, um, I just, I, I feel like I could be on the street tomorrow and I worry about this all the time. I think a lot of us have that, yeah. have that fear. Yeah. yeah. And I do extreme budgeting. Like I've budget every little item for two years out and I adjust it all the time because wow. I need to see it to know it's there. Wow. Give me some loves. Um, have you ever read the article or listened to the mini episode on co-narcissism? Hmm. You should go listen to it or read uh, Dr. Alan Rappaport's article on it. Google it. A lot will be explained to you. You will realize that the way you reacted to things that happened to you are completely normal. Completely normal. So there's nothing wrong with me? No, it's a you had a normal reaction to an abnormal environment. You're you are not abnormal. What happened to you was abnormal. Common, but sadly common, mm-hmm. but abnormal. My that's my opinion. And I cook chicken on cable TV, so I think I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Give me, give me a love. Uh, uh, I, I love it when my therapist cries, and she's only done it a few times, but uh, maybe five times. But it's really shocking to me. But the most validating thing experience I've ever had in my life. It sounds beautiful. Yeah, I think those, you know, those few moments have done more for me than all the, maybe even all the talking. <laughs> is, is there anything better than feeling empathized with? I don't know, it's just... I mean, I'm not, asking you, is there <laughs> anything that feels better than being empathized? God damn it! God damn it! It's the best feeling in the world. It's the best feeling in the world. You were starting to say something. Nope. <laughs> I'm done. Give me another love. Uh, I love silence and space. Just being um, away from people and things and not having anything on the calendar that I have to do. It's just the most freeing experience. My God, you and I are so fucking alike. (laughs) When I see that I have nothing to do for the day on my calendar, it is, I wish I felt that way about Christmas. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. That's how excited I, I've never been that excited for Christmas. Yeah. That I, when my day is completely free and I know I can go just bring my laptop to some place, a coffee place, get a big thing at my favorite tea, and have a hustle and bustle around me, but nobody wanting or needing anything from me. 
that is my idea of the best. Yeah. Even having one five minute appointment on the calendar can ruin the whole day. Yes. Yeah. We should kill together. We should. We really should. We should unite our dark forces and take down the people who just give us a bad feeling in the pit of our stomach. But let's let's keep it just to grocery stores and not just grocery stores. Let's just keep it to Whole Foods. Because <laughs> honestly, a lot of those people do need to die. What am I talking about? I love Whole Foods. I shop at Whole Foods. <laughs> Go ahead. Not enough Priuses in the parking lot of Whole Foods. <laughs> give me another love. There. Um... I I told you I struggled with my loves. Um, I love more than you'll ever know my dog sleeping and having a nightmare or a dream <laughs> with his eyes rolled back in his head and his eyes are still open. Oh, um, yeah, he sleeps with his eyes open. And he's your dog, of course he does. Of course he is. <laughs> fucking Satan's dog. <laughs> does does his little pet? <laughs> Pencily, scaly cock comes out when <laughs> when he's dreaming about. <laughs> Sitting on the devil's shoulder. How come there's more cock in my episode than any other <laughs> I don't know, but I'm going to edit some of it out because out, I'm, uh, I'm feeling very self-conscious now. <laughs> Sometimes when I play my... my uh, play an episode back i'm like that guest will probably never want to talk to me again <laughs> no you're doing good um i don't know i'm kind of over the loves okay um i i'll end with this one i love when a guest comes on and has no reason to be super honest but gives that gives that of themselves tells their truth and is just super honest and trusts that they're not going to be judged that that to me that vulnerability um i love and i never get tired of and you brought it you absolutely brought it i knew this was going to be a a good episode um when i play it back i'll see how much i ruined it but uh um ariana thank you thank you so much and uh, if people want to get in touch with you, um, I'll uh, ask them, uh, I'll BCC you because I know every episode people usually want to reach out because they hear their story coming out of somebody else's mouth, if not the entirety of their story, parts of it. And um, I would love that. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, thanks for coming to see us. Thanks. And hopefully you guys enjoyed that installment of Cock Talk. Uh, before we get to some surveys, I want to remind you there's a couple of different ways to support the show. If you feel so inclined, you can go to the website, mentalpod.com, and you can make a one-time PayPal donation. Or my favorite, you can make a recurring monthly donation for as little as five bucks a month. And it means so much to me because it helps keep the podcast going. And uh, God bless those of you that are monthly donors. And God curse those of you that aren't. Uh, no, but seriously, um, I, pre- I appreciate any way that you can support the show. You can support it financially. You can support it non-financially. Um, 
by giving us a good rating on iTunes, by spreading the word through, through social media. And you know what? I also appreciate those of you that don't support it in any way other than listening it, listening to it, because uh, or you support it by taking the survey or telling a friend about it. Um, so it doesn't have to be. You don't have to support us financially to feel like you're. Uh, Look at me letting you off the hook. Now, you know what? Go fuck yourselves, all of you. Even the, even the monthly donors. You know what? Monthly donors, fuck yourselves the hardest. I just want to mix it up. I got to keep you off balance. I'm actually gaslighting my entire audience. That's, that's how much of a control freak I am. And how, and how self-sabotaging I am. All right, let's get to some surveys. Oh, and there's also an Amazon search portal. If you want to shop at Amazon, enter through our search portal, and that way they'll give us a couple of nickels. Oh, and the other thing is, if you're going to be, become a monthly donor, um, do it through the PayPal link on our website. I'm told if you try to do it through your own PayPal account, it won't let you do it. So, um, yeah, little tip, little tip there for you. This is an awfulsome moment, and this was filled out by a woman who calls herself Question Mark. She writes, My moment arrived when I checked myself into an inpatient hospital, which is also the hospital where my spouse practices medicine. He's often the responsible physician for admitting patients to psych. That said, when I checked in, I was placed in the bed directly next to the patient he just admitted the evening before. She and I spent the next afternoon discussing how to inflict damage to her boyfriend's car. I suggested trout under the floorboards. It wasn't revealed to me until the next day. I'm not sure what she means was revealed. Um, oh, maybe that uh, her her uh, husband is the uh, the guy that she... Oh God, way to ruin the awfulsome moment, Paul. Way to kill the flow. Herbert. Herbert is ashamed of me. Uh, anyway, she writes, I really hope she doesn't follow through with the fish suggestion. Uh, I hope she finds this podcast. I do too. I do too. This is a shame and secret survey, and this is filled out by Claudine. She is in her 20s. She is pansexual, and she was raised in a totally chaotic environment. Uh, she was the victim of uh, sexual abuse uh, one time. She reported it, and another time she never reported it. Uh, she writes, I was sexually molested by my stepfather and by another older man. My stepfather groomed me for over a year. He would at first do little things like hug me for too long or pinch my ass. Then one day he tried fingering me after giving me a back massage. He'd also request for me to massage his feet and model swimsuits for him. With the other older guy, I basically prostituted myself to him for money for a bus ticket to run away. Oh my God, is that heartbreaking. Uh, we met online and met up a few times. I never had sex with him, just oral. I was 13 at the time. Um, I wouldn't minimize that just because it wasn't intercourse. Uh, anyway, uh, she was also emotionally abused. My biological father was very emotionally abusive, which would get physically, get physical occasionally. It was the emotional abuse that hurt the worst. He would call me and apologize for but my decision to use this word, but I'm just reading the survey. He would call me nigger and other slurs quite frequently. Living with him was terrifying. A, particularly, uh, a particular memory that stands out was the time he told me not to walk near him in the grocery store because he was ashamed of how I looked. 
I was balding because of my trichotillomania and was overweight and awkward. The shame sticks with me to this day. I feel like I'm too ugly to be around other people. Darkest thoughts. Sometimes I have intrusive thoughts about younger girls. A few times I've given in and masturbated to the thought of jail bait. I feel terribly ashamed afterwards and totally fucked up. I would never ever touch someone younger, but those sexual thoughts do linger occasionally. Um, and the darkest secret is similar. I once masturbated to the thought of a girl uh, that was younger than 10. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Um, young girls uh, have had a lot of impact on me. For some reason, it's hard to climax when I'm thinking of myself with my boyfriend. So I think about other girls with him. Uh, what, if anything, do you wish for? I want stability and peace of mind. I also want to have genuine body positivity and finally be comfortable in my own skin and not experience shame about my looks. Have you shared these things with others? Yes, my boyfriend and my best friend. How do you feel after writing this stuff down? Uh, I feel a bit emotional suddenly. I tend to repress these feelings, so writing about them openly and honestly is a bit much to handle. Well... I appreciate, and I know the other listeners appreciate, um, you opening up and talking about this stuff that's, or writing about the stuff that's hard to write about. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by Jenny Jukebox, and uh, she writes, My grandfather's funeral was a Catholic mass. Uh, during a completely silent part of the ceremony, when everyone was kneeling down praying, there was a splintering crack noise, and my dad, who was a big guy, and the people kneeling next to him suddenly sank to the floor. The old wooden kneeler my dad was on had broken under his weight, and what happened was quickly obvious to the family and friends around him. One by one, everyone started silently laughing. Everyone except for my dad, that is. It was one of those times where everyone would calm down and stop. Then one person would start shaking with concealed laughter again, and the whole group would start back up. The other people in the church who didn't know what happened must have been horrified that a group of people were overwhelmed with quiet but uncontrollable laughter at a funeral mass. Afterwards, watching my dad walk up to the priest and hand him cash to pay for the busted kneeler, the laughter started up all over again. Thank you for that. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by Miss Perfect. And about her anxiety, she writes, If I can't be perfect, I'm worthless. So even though it's impossible to be perfect, I will continue to be overwhelmed and anxious trying. Uh, about her OCD, she writes, Makes me cringe every time I hear Paul or his guest say lay instead of lie, as in I went to lie down. And yelling to the device the correct way of saying it. I love that she calls her iPod or her phone the device. Um, even needing to fill this in as my way of pointing out the mistake is indicative of my sickness, not their poor grammar. Uh, snapshot from her life. I was working on a project and some colleagues were offering constructive criticism, but all I heard was, you're a failure, you're a fuck up, and why do you even try? And I had an epiphany. For some people, they want to die because life is not worth living. For me, I should die because I'm not worthy of living life. Wow, that is that is heavy and profound. And I think you should go lay down and think about that. Or go lie down and fuck yourself while you're laying down. Or is it lying down? I don't know. <laughs> you know I'm kidding, of course. Sending you some love. And I love that, I love that you were able to see that it's not really that important what is correct and what's not. That it's whether or not you're engaging in something unhealthy is, is uh, oh, shut up, Paul. 
This is a shame and secret survey, and this was filled out by a guy who calls himself something clever, and he is in his 20s, bisexual, although he qualifies, I'm so confused, I don't want to have a husband slash boyfriend, but I get the strongest sexually charged thoughts towards guys I see. With girls, I see how comforting they could be, uh, not how much I want to fuck them. Sure, they're there's some that are massively attractive, but I just can't objectify women. But I can totally do that to men. Also, I've never kissed. And my brother excluded, I've never had any sexual experiences with anybody. Not even a date. So I feel pretty asexual, but honestly, I'm just confused. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Um, some stuff counts, but I some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Um, me and my brother were in puberty. And we shared a room. We jerked off together, but it wasn't like we had romantic feelings for each other at all. Most of the time, he initiated it, usually by giggling and then taking off his pants, showing his dick, which would make me laugh. It was an it was innocent as when you're a kid and you run around naked because it's fun, but sometimes I initiated it as well. Eventually, we started giving each other blowjobs. It was 100% consensual, and it was as platonic as sucking your brother's dick could be. That as a t-shirt. We were just doing things that felt good on our body parts. This went on for a year or two, but only on occasion. I think we both felt weird about giving head to each other, but it felt good. At one point, I'm sorry if this is too uh, intensely graphic for people, but uh, at one point we were 69ing each other, and he puts in parentheses, it was efficient. Uh, and it was just too awkward. He said it was weird and he didn't want to continue again. He didn't want to continue again. This whole thing was with many checks of consent. So I accepted his quote, no. And aside from jerking off in the same room, uh, but not jerking off each other, we haven't done really anything since. I missed the sexual action, which felt good on my body parts, but it has been with me ever since. I don't think it's something I can forget. And this is the first time I've ever shared it. Uh, Ever been emotionally abused? Yes. My brother growing up would always be nice if he was feeling nice, but when he wasn't interested in hanging out or whatever, he would be a total asshole. Go away instead of I don't want to. This continued into the bedroom. I can't believe I have a bedroom experience with my brother. Fuck. And sometimes I would want to masturbate with him. I'll admit it was kind of a brotherhood bonding feeling when I did this with him. I wasn't falling in love with him in a romantic way, but it was really intimate Um, so maybe I was feeling love in a family way as gay and incesty as that sentiment is. Ha ha. Sorry. So I would want to initiate, or in other words, a leaf blew in the wind six miles away and I got an erection because of it. Thanks puberty. And he would just say, go to bed or something, uh, whatever the activity sexual or not. Uh, I felt the exact same rejection whenever he didn't politely, uh, decline. It, it hurt, and I constantly battle thinking I'm being a baby about it. But the truth is, I was alone a lot growing up, and my brother was all I had. If he cut me off with his jagged edge, I had to bleed alone with nobody to kiss my boo-boo. I don't think this is like hardcore abuse, but he was almost two-faced in a time where I didn't feel very loved. Any positive experiences with your abusers? I think this is obvious by now, but how was I supposed to know if me asking for social socialization would get me a quick cut or the love I craved? I love my brother. I really do. I was just, it was just difficult sorting these things out growing up. Darkest thoughts. Wondering how big every guy's dick is. 
I spent the night at my friends very often in middle school and high school, and while we never saw each other's dicks, uh, in parentheses, let alone 69, he would talk about his sexual experiences and I would ask questions. I got more and more curious uh, about what he's working with, but it would absolutely ruin our friendship. I was his best man. I could never throw that away to know if he's average or not. Darkest secrets. Well, sucking my brother... (laughs) Well, sucking my brother off is pretty up there. I can't really think of something else because this is the first time I've ever shared it. Uh, And we appreciate you sharing that, by the way. Um, uh, I've never talked with my brother about the experience, and I think I need to so I can get closure and move on. It was a little bit sexually confusing to be looking at another penis while having an orgasm and knowing what it takes to give a good blowjob, but I was never sexually falling in love with my brother. It was like two separate things. We were hanging out and we were trying to get our rocks off. Uh, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. There's something that makes me so turned on about some guy with a big dick just tearing into a girl or guy, but only if everybody is consenting. I can't watch rapey porn. It disgusts me. This fantasy extends, extends itself to my curiosity about how my friends are doing between the sheets. I've thought about my best friend having sex so many times while masturbating. He's such a stud. It's like I'm in sexual awe. Ha ha. He's now married and the fantasy isn't that amazing anymore. I've never expressed this before, so it's nice to tell somebody. I wish I could tell my friend that I think he's so cool between the sheets that I can get off to his stories, but that would be too gay. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I wish I could tell all my friends that I'm depressed and I've got problems and I'm not normal. I do such a good job appearing cheerful that it feels almost fake to show my real sadness. Um, What, if anything, do you wish for? When I was a kid, I would pray, dear God, help everybody and everything the way that they need to be helped. It was the most efficient prayer ever, and frankly, I was surprised Others never thought about praying for everybody in the world. How self-centered were they? To the question, I wish I could be happy and I wish everybody could get along. Have you shared these things with others? Hell no. How do you feel after writing these things down? Good and bad. I'm putting off calling my mom back, but I have never put these thoughts into words. There's a sense of calm from letting it out, but I'm still a little anxious about everything else in my life going on. Um... Is there anything else you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Don't bottle it up. I bottle too much up, and it's left me tattered. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Sending you some love. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by Scaredy Cat, and she writes, Today I was on a walk by my house when I approached a pedestrian bridge that crosses over a freeway. My depression has felt pretty overwhelming lately, but thankfully I haven't been feeling suicidal. Still, as I crossed the bridge, I stopped and looked down at cars zooming past, and my mind kept imagining what it would be like to be hit by one of the cars. I saw a semi-truck approaching and felt oddly excited by its immensity, since it would be even more shocking and exhilarating for my imagination. As the semi came closer, I felt a lot of adrenaline building up inside me as the imagined moment of impact came upon me. Suddenly, I was shocked back into reality when the semi unleashed a few friendly, blaring honks. To say I was startled is an understatement. I started laughing uncontrollably in my own fearful bodily reflex at the 
at the loud noise when I had just been casually imagining myself getting run over by the truck. Awfulsome indeed. Thank you for that. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a woman who calls herself a ghost of who I could have been. And um, about living with an abuser, she writes, uh, emotional abuse, neglect, narcissistic parents. Uh, I tried to protect my room from change, but they knew best and replaced everything. And a snapshot from her life. And by the way, there are so many surveys that I wish I could read out loud, but some of them, I, 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 there's just not enough time. Sometimes I don't have the energy or the um, endurance to read all of the surveys that get filled out, let alone read them on the podcast. But I don't want anybody who's ever filled one out and poured their heart into it to think that theirs isn't valid or worthy of being read. There just isn't enough time and enough manpower to read and uh, read on air as well uh, all of the surveys. The snapshot from her life, she writes, I stood in the kitchen doorway for emotional support as my little sister steeled herself to tell our parents that she wanted to quit swimming lessons. She was, oh, and by the way, she is, uh, it doesn't say how old she is. Um, I think she's uh, between 16 and 19. Uh, She was about to start her sixth year of them and was already feeling overwhelmed with her high school freshman course load. She had prepared a solid argument, but it was a whole two years earlier that I had been allowed to quit Um, Then I had been allowed to quit, and she was better at it than I was. In spite of preparations, the conversation went south. Our mother insisted she pick a replacement sport if she wasn't going to swim. My sister pointed out that she was on travel soccer in the fall and on the school team in the spring and did ski and snowboard club in the winter. But they insisted she find a replacement sport for the winter season, like swimming. Ski and snowboard club didn't count. It was too infrequent. Finding a replacement sport would defeat the purpose of quitting, but both our parents insisted. I tried to speak up in my sister's support or voice my own ideas or even clarify what my sister was saying, but each time I was shot down because I was the child, not the parent. And when I had kids, I could raise them however I liked, but I had no say in how they raised me or my siblings. I was told not to speak at all and had to sit and listen to my mother explain that if she didn't want to do any sport, she could agree to do a certain amount of running every day instead, but she would have to swear to hold to that schedule without fail. Otherwise, it wouldn't be healthy. At that point, I left and waited in my sister's room for her to come back. Once she did, stoic and dry-eyed, I told her firmly that despite how it sounded down there, she was not fat in the least. I then sat with her on her bed as she sobbed into her hands, saying that she was. Just let that sink in. You know, and those parents, I'm sure, in their mind, thinking that they are keeping their daughter quote-unquote thin is helping her or protecting her, and they don't have no idea how much they are hurting her. No idea. Zero. You know, the good news is, is that it's only a year or two until you're 18, and you can tell them to go fuck themselves and that that will probably burn a few calories.
This is an awfulsome moment filled out by Smiley, and he writes, After my siblings were mocking me a little bit too loudly, my mother finally had enough, so she sat us down and said that while she would never actually kill us, she could see where mothers who did that kind of thing were coming from. Later on, everyone seemed surprised and a little weirded out when I bought a lock for my door, as if I was being unreasonable, although Dad thought I did a good job installing the knob. That is bizarre awfulsome. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself the real me question mark. He is straight in his 50s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. He writes, I was shown porn at a very early age by my father, grandfather, and uncle, not as a means to abuse me, but more like a rite of passage. They never abused me physically. By the way, I think showing children porn is is abuse. Um, anyway, uh, they never abused me physically, but the porn really screwed me up. Later, my older brother, knowing I was addicted to porn, used it to experiment on, experiment on me as he was gay. This went on for a few years, causing me to question who I was. I began to drink, wanted to commit suicide, started wearing my mother's clothes in an effort to make sense of things. Um, He's been emotionally abused. Uh, I've asked for help many times. My parents let me down. My spiritual guides have let me down. I consider this emotional abuse because it just reinforced my lack of self-worth, knowing I was not worth anyone's effort to help me. Years later, in a fit of rage against my parents, my brother called me because he could not find my parents and told me how I wanted it. Um, That really fucks up your mind. Years later, in a fit of rage against my parents, my brother called me because he could not find my parents. I'm not not sure I understand that sentence. Anyway, um, any positive experiences with your abusers? Of course, I love my older brother. He was supposed to look out for me, not mess me up for the rest of my life. Even now, uh, I will have dreams of him and me together and wake up with an erection. God, that will send me down a pit for days. He would buy me things and give me what I wanted so I would have sex with him. By the way, uh, most of the surveys that I'm reading in uh, this week's episode were chosen last week before I even recorded the episode that I did just posted with um, with Ariana. I actually recorded that about three days ago. So um, I don't know, the, just the synchronicity sometimes of uh, the relationship between stuff that we uh, talk about in our interviews and stuff you guys share on the surveys just is so uh, profound to me. Uh, continuing, darkest thoughts. I think about being dressed as a woman being used by men. Piss, anal, spanking, oral, just the whole gamut of kink. I want to be sexually used up, but only while I look and feel like a woman. Uh, darkest secrets. I have worn my wife's clothes for years and have gone online looking for webcam sex with other men. It sickens me to type this and yet liberating to get it out. It's been a while because I honestly don't want to do it ever again, but the thought of it disgusts me and excites me at the same time. 
Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Cross-dressing. I have no desire to be a woman. I like being a man, but I find it so liberating to act like a woman. I love the feeling of feminine things. I wish I could be alone for a month and just when I am home, be a woman. I wish I could, I could without feeling any guilt, date a man or give myself to men. It makes me feel aroused and ashamed at the same time. You should feel zero shame for these thoughts and feelings. And I encourage you to find a safe way to to experiment uh, and indulge yourself in them. Uh, life is short. Life is too short to not uh, indulge in things that bring us pleasure that don't hurt anybody uh, or don't hurt ourselves. Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone that you haven't been able to? Uh, sometimes I feel like saying, go fuck yourself. Why? Because they deserve it. But over the years, after being rejected many times over, I've become very closed off. If I think about it more, uh, I think I would like to ask my parents, why didn't they do anything? And I would ask my brother why he had to use me. Didn't you have friends you could have experimented with? What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for peace of mind. I wish I didn't have the sexual fantasies I have. I wish I had never seen porn or been touched by my brother. Sometimes I wish I never had a brother. Have you shared these things with others? Not really. I just don't want to, people to know. I'm afraid what they would think of me. I hate myself as it is. I am not sure I would handle their reaction. I think everybody reading this is thinking what a beautifully sensitive guy this is who is who is struggling. I don't think anybody is judging you. Um, that's not to say there aren't people in the world who would be very close-minded and judge you, judge you, but I think there's a lot of people. Everybody's Everybody's got something that they're afraid of being judged for and these things just happen to be yours uh, how do you feel after writing these things down a little relieved that it's out there and happy that it is it is anonymous anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences i guess most of all i don't mean to offend if someone also shares these fantasies and is okay with them we each have to find our own way. The fact that I am disgusted and ashamed by this is my own feeling. I make no judgments on anyone but myself. Thank you so much for sharing that. And then, uh, let's see. This is an awfulsome moment. Um, this is an awfulsome moment. We're going to end on this one. And this is filled out by Roy. And he is... Uh, teenager between 18 and 19 and let's see did I read that one? yeah I read that one his awfulsome moment he writes after a chaotic week of breaking up with my girlfriend binge drinking and lashing out at family members or strangers I decided to spend the night drinking with friends the first drink was at 6pm right after my class had finished and the day resulted in karaoke <clears throat> hours of laughter, hugs and drunken dancing and cigarettes galore. Around 2 a.m. I ended up at some friend's place. They were a couple. After the boyfriend passed out on the kitchen table and was dragged to their bed, his girlfriend and I kept talking. We went outside for a cigarette and the downward, downward spiral started. Our conversation took a dark turn. The bottle I'd been holding my emotions in exploded and I told her about my compulsive lying, my seizures, my depression, my fear of seeing a professional and turning into a sedated zombie. We went back inside and after the conversation reached my family, I broke down in tears. Me, the young guy on campus who had never shown emotion aside from a chuckle, 
crying in her arms. I was wearing all black. I'm such a fucking tough guy. She left and got a teddy bear for me to hold, brought her medication and showed me what she takes. She assured me that professional help isn't something to be feared and that everything is gradual with low doses to begin with. She held me in her arms as I shook and cried almost silently. For the first time in my life, I wasn't ashamed of crying. I think I'll always be in her debt. Fucking tough guy, holding a pink and blue teddy bear, wearing all black, weeping in a kitchen with a bottle of gin. God, that sounds like a country song. Well, thank you so much for that, Roy. Sending you some love and sending all you guys some love. And um, yeah, remember, remember to be your own best friend. We're standing there. Might as well. There, there's nobody it's more convenient for to be our best friend than us. So uh, maybe for the next six and a half days, let's uh, let's do that. I'm going to try to do that. And I'll report back to you and let you know how that went. Um, I hope if you're out there and you're feeling stuck that this episode helped you feel less alone or at the very least distracted you from your pain for for two hours. And uh, I hope that that no matter what you're going through, that you know that uh, there can be help, there can be hope, and that you are most definitely not alone. And thank you for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely.